0: Hello, and welcome back to the What the Fab podcast. I'm really excited you're joining me for this podcast episode today. It is different than any episode I have done so far. And um, to kind of give you a little bit of context, hopefully you are aware by now of the spike in hate crimes against Asian Americans, especially tied to this pandemic and misplaced anger and frustration that has been leading to violence, especially against elders and women uh, with the recent shootings in Atlanta. I've definitely been seeing an uptick in how much people are talking about this on social media, which is, I'm glad that people are becoming more aware, but it's also frustrating that this has been happening and on the rise since the start of the pandemic and it's only just really kind of reaching the point where it's being widely shared and talked about now after the horrific incidents um, last week. And so I am feeling frustrated about it. I was feeling, you know, obviously angry and really upset last week. And I was also thinking about, like, why is it that There are a lot of people that until last week were unaware that this was happening. And so I was thinking about what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. I wasn't sure what format that would be. I've been listening to, you know, other podcast episodes talking about this, and some of them had like lots of different Asian Americans recording themselves and talking about incidents that um, things that have happened to them during the pandemic and kind of like splicing those conversations together. I chose to invite three close family members and friends who are all Asian American women on the podcast with me and to just have a conversation. And um, you will hear me fumble. You'll hear me stumble on my words. You will hear me cry. And I got to tell you, it was really tempting to go back and to edit my portions of the conversation so that I sounded more articulate, like gave myself to, time to gather my thoughts and and reword things or to, to say a story again without crying. Um, it was really tempting to do that, but I didn't. Um, I didn't think that would be fair, especially to the other three women who were, you know, super brave and open and uh, willing to hop on this podcast with me and have this conversation, and it's it's very raw and vulnerable, but I think it's really, really important, and I have mentioned it on my social media, I've mentioned it in the podcast episode, but I am a firm believer that awareness is the first step and is key. So I wanted to share that context and just kind of set the scene for this conversation, the episode that we're about to dive into. And, you know, when I first launched this podcast, I shared in episode one, which was like my kind of intro episode, it's only like five or six minutes long, but I shared that I planned on covering topics that ranged from life hacks and productivity and interesting interviews, you know, skincare, to important topics and discussing issues that are happening Around us? Like, what are you doing to be an anti racist? Where do you stand on these issues? What actions are you taking? Um, I am certainly not an expert in that arena, but I feel really strongly that I need to use my platform and my voice to further those conversations. And so that's what we're doing with today's episode. If you are new here, because my hope is that this conversation will get shared more broadly outside of my usual audience, so if you are a new listener, welcome. I hope that this conversation brings you value and is impactful for you, whether you're a new listener or a long-time listener. Long time, I say it like my podcast has been around for a while. It just launched at the beginning of this year, but I would really appreciate your support through subscribing to the podcast, through whatever platform you listen through, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever it is, and leaving a review as well on Apple Podcasts. If you have little ones around, you might want to put some headphones in because there's definitely plenty of F-bombs and curse words being dropped. I feel like I shouldn't even have to put that disclaimer on this episode because (laughs) most of my episodes, there's the occasional F-bomb, but just letting you know that that is something that happens in this episode. And so with that, we are just going to dive right into this important conversation. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me on the What the Fab podcast. I really appreciate it because I know the topic that we are diving into today isn't, um, isn't really very fun and I'll probably be in a pretty bad mood afterwards, but I really appreciate you taking the time to hop on and just have a super open conversation and chat with me today.
1: Thanks for having
0: us. So first, I guess I'll just ask, how is everyone feeling? How are you doing?
2: I feel like the long silence after that question sort of shows how we're doing. Like it's hard to talk about and it's hard to find the right words to start with.
1: Yeah, I'd echo that. I think that was a great description, Hannah. I would also just say I'm tired, like I'm physically, emotionally, spiritually, spiritually exhausted. Um, I don't have any more bandwidth. I just feel exhausted trying to explain how I'm feeling and trying to justify to others that these feelings are valid.
3: Yeah. Similarly, I'm feeling really tired. And I think just like this sense of not being surprised at all and just watching this growing crescendo of racism and hatred and harassment towards um, Asian Americans, you know, especially from the start of the pandemic and just watching all of that happen over the past year, like it hasn't been, this wasn't something sudden that we couldn't have predicted, but feeling like, um, you know, not everyone was paying attention before something traumatic like this happened.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I think I was f- trying to figure out like what to, to share on social media. Cause it's like part of my Job. I feel like I need to acknowledge um, what's happening and was just kind of focused on that and like trying to keep caught up with like the news and and what was happening. And then by like Friday afternoon, Friday evening, I just like fell into this like very deep state of depression. I like didn't want to get out of bed. I was just feeling just really depressed and, you know, Omid was so sweet. He was like, what can I do? How can I help you? And I'm like, there's literally nothing like this. I just, in my feelings right now, like this is just, there's nothing I can do to pull myself out of this right now. Um, so it's been, it's been rough, but like you were saying, Aaron, um, watching, I, I want to talk about how words matter and Trump calling covid the kung flu and china virus and saying we're at war against the chinese virus like asian americans knew like we watched this going down we were offended we knew that this was not going to end well and it was going to fuel this misplaced anger and division and and obviously it's not just trump like the united states has a history of racism against asian americans um and the the dehumanization of a group of people starts with language. And I, I want to kind of open it up to talk a bit about, I know we all have experiences with racism, whether it's a racist joke or a comment or something more um, potentially threatening than that. And I just want people to know that whether you're, you're like casually making a comment or a joke that's rooted in racism, you're contributing to that othering and that devaluing and the eventual dehumanization that potentially leads to violence. So I just wanted to open it up and um, see if there are any stories that come to mind or anything you want to share about that specifically or or any experiences that you've had in the past
2: I have one well I have a few but one that particularly comes to mind um just thinking about what you said like words matter and how you talk to people and what you call them and refer to them as that matters And I remember there was this guy in high school who I didn't really care for, not because he was like a bad person to me, but he was just kind of obnoxious. And I just eh, didn't really care for him. And then my good friend went to college and they ended up going to the same college and they ended up becoming part of the same friend group. So they hung out quite a bit together. And I went and I visited her once and I ended up hanging out with him and a bunch of their other friends. And He was a white man and he, for whatever reason, like thought that the funniest joke he ever told was that I was personally responsible for Pearl Harbor, which doesn't even make sense in any, like, like it's a bad joke. First of all, like shame on you for making a bad joke. How is that a joke? It's not right. Like it's not like he would not only just like say it, Randomly, out loud, but like he would comment on my Facebook posts, like, just that weren't even related, and like talk about how like how could you have caused Pearl Harbor? Yeah, like really fucked up, and just like n- nonsensical, and like he during that like I don't exactly remember the conversation we were having having or like why he thought it was okay to even bring this up but while he was talking about that he called me a jap, and I was like dude what the fuck is wrong with you like none of this is funny like can't you read the room everyone here is super uncomfortable I fucking hate you and like no one's laughing and why are you continuing to do this like you and I don't even know each other and I just remember like not I, I mean, I was like 20, you know, so I didn't really have a whole lot of experience or like the wherewithal to formulate the thoughts to be like, do you know how racist and how inappropriate and how degrading and how just like damaging your words can be? Like I just was, didn't really have the ability to formulate that and like, you know, tell him that it was more just me being like, dude, shut the fuck up. Like, what's wrong with you? which also is fine, I suppose. But yeah.
1: Yeah, I think I've been having conversations in the last year with a lot of my Asian American girlfriends, something that I didn't have consistently or steadily until my late 20s, early 30s, mid 30s. Um, And one thing that I find a lot of us have in common as anywhere from second to fourth generation Asian Americans is this concept of like coming into our Asian-ness and otherness the older we get and realizing how we've tried to assimilate or make others comfortable with our otherness or um, really internalized racism throughout our early childhoods, teen years, 20s, and really not being able to put words to it until we became more mature adults with the wherewithal to look back but I think of like a series of things Um, nothing overt but just a series of microaggressions and constant passive-aggressive insults in the form of words and messages that we get from a really young age. Like I can't even remember the song that people would sing. I'm sure you guys know it, yeah. where they would sing some song about me. So me Chinese me. So I don't even remember the lyrics, but mm-hmm. there would, there's was a snappy little song and then the individuals singing, it would yank their eyelids up or down or in diagonals. And, um, I remember not feeling great about that being little, but not knowing why I didn't feel great about that. Um, Everyone asking the question, or having been asked this question, every Asian American having been asked this question at some point, where are you from? Where you're really from? And not realizing that was, acknowledging that you're not American, being told, oh, you speak English really well. And I remember not understanding why people would say that because I would think, well, what else would I speak? having kids make fun of my lunch or the way my lunch smelled or looked, or if I had clothing that wasn't like gap with a big American flag on it, anything that was othered in any way. Um, And then thinking about like being called a Twinkie or a banana Banana. in high school as a compliment, the intent being you look yellow on the outside, but you act white. So your proximity to whiteness by acting white, although you look different, is a good thing. And not realizing that that was really damaging to my Asian identity. Um, going up through college, people still calling me chink or jap and thinking it was cute, like thinking it was flirty, or saying ni hao, or Konichiwa. all through college. I dealt with a lot of that. Um, in college, someone I was dating said... Well, at least you're a good minority, which is racist on so many levels because that insinuates that Asians are somehow better than any other minority, which is absolutely not the case. And also insinuating that while you're a good minority, you're not as good as white people. So just Mm -hmm. a ton of layers of racism wrapped up in one statement. Um, I'm trying to think of other things. There's so many. Um, But all of that being is the message being that you're not good enough or white supremacy, the message of white supremacy still being that you're not a full-fledged person. You're not a white person. You're an other. So it wasn't really until my late 20s that I really started to think about these things and the effect they had on me. And I think also moving to a metropolitan area with a much bigger Asian population, Asian American population really helped me come out and come into my own as a minority and an Asian minority. And it's really comforting to have other Asian-Americans, specifically women that I can speak to about this, because our lived experiences are also similar or from different areas. I'm thinking about just my group of Pearl friends. We're from California, we're from Michigan, Texas, New York, and all of our experiences are really similar in this case of growing up with an internalized racism caused by words and the things that people say to you. And really not being able to confront that or deal with it or emerge out of it until like our late 20s, early 30s, which is well into adulthood. So words definitely matter.
3: Yeah, I'm thinking of like listening to the two of you recount some of your experiences just like brings up so many experiences for me that were similar. So I guess I'll just start from the youngest age. What I remember, I definitely remember that experience of having somebody I think I was maybe six, like maybe first grade. And one of my classmates came up to me and she said, why do your eyes look like this? And she pulled them into slits and I like didn't skip a beat. And I pulled my eyes as wide as I could to be like perfect circles. And I said, I don't know, but why do your eyes look like this? And she like shut up and dropped it. (laughs) And I think probably every Asian kid or, um, you know has an experience like that or has an experience of being called out for having something about their appearance that looks different and when um Claire was talking about being called a twinkie or a banana as a compliment like that definitely happened to me as a teenager and i think that the you know what's so harmful about that is that the insinuation is that white is human that white is the default You know, only white is American. And that's super harmful and not at all, you know, true and only serves to to dehumanize people who aren't white. Um, And then when Claire was talking about the like good minority, like that I've been learning more as I've gotten older about things like the model minority myth, which now I never say without the word myth because it's not, it's a myth. And it was created, it was coined by a white man whose name I don't remember and doesn't matter in the 1960s only to pit Asian Americans against black people who were, you know, agitating for civil rights in the civil rights movement. And there was nothing about it that was, um, nothing about it was meant to be, you know, beneficial to Asians or Asian Americans. It was more just like, this is our way of proving that this is this white man's way of proving that racism doesn't exist because like look at these good people of color who are making it work which is total bullshit and like Asians are often used in that way to 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 pit um a community of color against other communities of color for the advancement of you know the white um uh, majority and the white systems that that profit off of white supremacy And I think for me, one of the things that was like a turning point was when I um, lived abroad in Taiwan in my early 20s. And I realized it was so clearly that like, I'm Asian American, I don't fit in 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 Taiwan. Like, even though I am, you know, part um, Taiwanese, Chinese and Japanese, like that's, I don't fit in there because I grew up here but I also don't fit in here because I'm not, you know, people still see Asian Americans as foreigners, no matter how many generations they've been here. So even though like you might be fourth or fifth generation Asian American, you're still asked, where are you from? And I remember when I got back from Taiwan, I was doing um, laps at a local pool in my hometown and at the end of a lap, I was just kind of resting and I started talking with this, uh, this older woman. She was an older white woman, probably in her like 60s or something. And we had this nice conversation. And she asked me <laughs> at the end of this conversation, she goes, So, how long is your foreign exchange student program? This is in my hometown where I was born and raised. Oh and I was like, How did she know? How did she know that I went to Taiwan? Like, how did she know this? And then it dawned on me that she. Of course she didn't know any of that. She thought that the only possible way that I could be there in my hometown was if I was a foreign exchange student visiting from Asia. And and that's like one example of so many examples that Asian Americans have of um, being considered a perpetual foreigner. Um, so, yeah, it's it's, I think it's interesting that, you know, the term Asian American and Asian American Pacific Islander i feel like those are such fraught terms because there's so many different countries and so many different identities and experiences and histories, um, within that huge umbrella. Um, and it's not a monolithic experience. And at the same time, within our group, within this group sitting here right now, we have a lot of common experiences of, being made to feel other or less than or um perpetually foreign
2: um, when both of you were talking about that whole like you're a twinkie or a banana thing i remember i had this one experience where some dude was like oh where are you from Oh, california Nah. like where are you from i was like oh i'm half japanese and then another different dude that i was friends with another white guy was like yeah but you're basically white and i was like okay i'm in the middle of two assholes here
1: like it's like you but you're basically white it's his way as a white person to vouch for you and give you
2: proximity, and like validate you and give more right, white credit. right
1: it's so diminishing
2: yeah and i remember being like both of you are equally problematic just in different different ways reasons. Yeah. And like, I, you know, I was like, I'm not basically white. I'm half white and I'm half Japanese. Like what I just said and like, you know, I have to be totally honest. Like I do feel like if there were two boxes that just said, which often happens like if you're you know applying for a job or if you're at the doctor's office a lot of times there isn't an option that says i'm multiple races and sometimes you have to just check one that says if you're asian or if you're white or black or hispanic or whatever and i do feel like if i were to self-identify and only had the option to pick one it would not pick white like i don't feel like i identify with just being white like i do feel like i identify more with being asian and japanese and like you know i i think that part of it is because i really enjoy that part of myself but i also think that part of it is because of like how i've been treated and socialized as a you know a product of the way that i look and like if i was blonde maybe I wouldn't feel as strongly tied to my Asian roots because I probably would be treated differently. Mm
1: -hmm. I think that's a really good observation, Hannah.
0: Yeah, I um, really identified with what Claire was saying about just like these tiny microaggressions your entire life and, and also in like really formative years when you're young and you kind of learn like, oh, I'm different. Like I and and it it reminds me of um so i've i've had some conversations with a white male friend of mine who has asked like my husband who's persian and their other friend who's also persian like well you know i i don't really remember it being that bad for you guys and they were friends in middle school and high school like I just kind of remember maybe people making fun of like your name like was there anything else like he he, I'm not trying to throw shade at him (laughs) I can see the expression on your guys faces (laughs) not trying to throw shade like he really was like trying to understand like was there something else going on that I was missing but the thing is it's not it's not that one thing or that one comment it's the feeling that you have from that and the the feeling of being othered and less than and um and that sticks with you your entire life and then it takes years of unraveling that to to not feel that anymore or to at least know how to like name it and know what that is and not buy into that narrative that you are less than because you're not white um And I I think that for me, when I think about um, how how I have my identity has been shaped, like the first thing I think of is, well, I don't speak Japanese because my mom, my mom's parents grew up trying to assimilate her as much as possible. Like after you know, so much of her family was placed in internment camps, all they wanted was for their children to be as Americanized as possible. So they wouldn't speak Japanese to her. They would only speak English to her. And so she doesn't speak Japanese. And so I don't speak Japanese. And when I think about like my very first, like uh, realization that like I'm, I'm not fully fully, white and that's a bad thing. Um, It's like a very specific memory of being in fifth grade and I had never been like bullied or teased before, but a kid on the school bus started, I don't remember exactly what he said, but you know, it was enough to make me understand that my ethnicity and being Japanese was a bad thing. And I came home and I remember like crying to my mom and just saying like, why can't I be white? Like, all I want is to be white, like my friends. And sorry, I'm getting emotional because I'm just picturing, like, your child looking up at you and saying that. Like, like not liking who they are and just begging you to be white. And I remember her saying, I remember her crying and I remember her saying, I know exactly how you feel. I was the only Asian student in my elementary school and it was really hard and I hated it. And I, I remember feeling the same way. Like, why can't I just have blonde hair and blue eyes? But I promise you that when, as you get older, you will learn to understand that who you are is beautiful and, and you will get to a place where you wouldn't trade that for anything if you could snap your fingers and be white you wouldn't you oh, would be gosh. exactly as you are and I, I remember being 10 years old and thinking my mom is full of shit <laughs> like, <laughs> I remember thinking there's no way that at any point in my life I wouldn't rather just be white but mom knows best she was right and and like you were saying Claire it's like you get older and you learn to value those you you learn to value who you are and to be able to speak in certain terms and understand like oh that's what that was like it's it's a process um and it's not easy um but I'm really grateful for having been able to like branch out and like like when I went to college like at UCLA there was a hoppa club and I was like wait, what people celebrate being Hoppa? Like, that's that's amazing. And then I, like, made friends in that group. And then, you know, just expanding my horizons and, like, having a group and community that um, could be supportive and, and learning about other minorities and, and groups that have been... <sighs> That have gone through and had so much disenfranchisement and an understanding that white supremacy is a real fucking thing. And when multiple groups of people are just asking white people to not murder them, there's a real problem. And anyone saying that that that's not the root of the issue that white supremacy isn't the root of the issue is just gaslighting you and being able to like talk about that with people and and see other people openly talking about it as well um has been has been helpful for me
1: yeah i think that what you just said Elise, really resonates and i'm, I'm i just want to say i'm so sorry you felt like that and i can't imagine having to comfort her daughter through that and that's just the result of why words mattered because that is Mm -hmm. how you as an individual had internalized racism at that point in your life that you hated that part of you but I I just think like a part, a lot of what I think we struggled with last year after the murder of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many other people, Black people, was the country's racial awakening, the country's racial awakening to injustices that Black people have been speaking about for 400 years. And I remember having a conversation with an asian girlfriend and she was really struggling with where do asians fit into this this picture and i think it was a discussion among a couple of us and what we came to was yes asian americans have adversity but that is not the focus right now and we should be amplifying black voices and um i think throughout the next year and into this year and now it's been really hard for me to reconcile how much I should think or center or even talk about my own experience or the Asian American experience which just giving a nod to what Aaron said earlier we're not we're not a monolith it's so different but just thinking about the increasing rise in violence against Asian Americans and still thinking back to the Black plight and thinking they're nowhere near the same and you can't compare, but then thinking, why do we have to compare? It's not a competition. And like you said, it's all of us, all of these marginalized minority groups begging for one group to just recognize us as humans and recognize the systemic racism built into our country. Um, really points to the work for for one group to do. I mean, it's work for all of us, but it's it's just been a struggle for me to understand and know how to talk about our experience while being sensitive to the fact that racism exists and has been perpetrated against many more communities than ours as well.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like when you know after george floyd's murder and protests were happening i was so quick to like spring into action like i was like posting about it i was raising money for it i was you know reading all the books that i could read like i i just felt so like okay this like i i need to do something and for some reason like recently as more and more hate crimes against asian americans had been happening, um, especially, you know, tied to the pandemic, I realized that, and Erin made me realize that when she had kind of asked, like, you know, a few months ago, like, what, are, what do your feeds look like right now? Like, are people talking about these hate crimes against Asian Americans? And I was like, shit, I, I've been reading about it, but I haven't been like as vocal about it. And like, why is that? Like, why haven't I, you know, jumped up to to do that and it's kind of like you were saying claire um trying to figure out like it's it's not there's no like reason to like compare um or or tally or try to justify anything um but yeah that was just something that i noticed like for whatever reason i wasn't as like apt to like jump in and start posting and raising funds like I was last summer. And I don't know if it's my own like internalized, like just stay quiet and stay small or what that is. But it was just a realization that I had.
3: I have so many thoughts. Um, I feel like there are so many different threads in this conversation. I'm going to try to remember some of the things, at least that you said earlier, Um, but when you were talking about your experience of being a little kid and going home and saying that, I just like, it just makes me think of, first of all, my heart goes out to you because I don't think any kid should ever feel that way. Um, but also in, um, in public health, which is my field, there's a lot of emphasis on when we're talking about, health issues related to racism. The issue is racism. The issue is not race. Like the issue is not, you know, communities of communities of color or people of color or heritage or different ethnicities. The issue is white supremacy. The issue is racism and discrimination. And I think one of the things that has held back discussions about this, including after last summer, was this perception of racism only being something where it's an individual with mal like with ill intent or mal what is that is that a word with bad intentions doing something to harm another person Malentine. yeah thank you but it's not just you know one person doing something to harm another person on purpose there's like the four levels of racism, the internalized racism, which is what you're talking about, Elise, the interpersonal, which is in our interactions with other people, the institutional in our organizations, our universities, our schools, and the structural in the systems that like this country is built on. And I feel like until we as a society get a better, better understanding that racism is not just wearing a white hood. It's not just a racial slur. It's not just a murder. It's like all of these different things that are built into our systems, and you know, redlining and housing, and the, um, the fact that our great grandparents couldn't be citizens because they were Japanese. You know, the fact that they couldn't own land, um, the fact that my mom wouldn't have been able to immigrate to the U.S. twenty years earlier because of the Chinese Exclusion Act not being, you know, not not being done away with. Till I think that I might be getting this wrong, but I think until the nineteen forties or something crazy. Like until we, and we with a with a heavy emphasis on white folks who are benefiting from this system, until we get a better understanding that there isn't going to be much progress. And I think another thing in this conversation in general is that, like, um, if if there's if we have a better understanding of this the systems and the structures in place that it's not just interpersonal then maybe people won't get so defensive. And I'm, again, talking about white people, especially. Maybe people won't get so defensive when these issues come up. Um, And Claire, when you're or I don't know who mentioned it first, but when we were talking about um, the, like, intense racism and brutality that black folks have experienced since they were brought to this country, and chains like I think that if if what's that quote like if you've come here to save me then you're wasting your time but if you've come here because your liberation and mine are tied up together then let's work together and like that's I don't know that's how I see that it's not there's no oppression olympics it's not about who like who has it worse because I don't it's that I I don't think that's a competition anyone wants to win. Um, But I feel like the kind of more system and structural understanding and the lens of solidarity is a more helpful and just like a more hopeful lens, too. And also, <laughs> I was just going to say, at least what your mom said about like loving your culture and your heritage is absolutely how I feel. Like I know we've been talking about a lot of the negatives, but I was talking to my husband today about how one of the fa- my favorite things about me is like my heritage and my culture. And I love Japanese New Year and I love Lunar New Year and I like love the connection that that gives me to my family and. Um, like our ancestors and our history and I think that's all something to be celebrated definitely
1: I'm glad you're on this uh discussion thread Aaron. because I feel like you made me look smarter just by being in this thread
0: I was literally thinking that I was like this this podcast is going to be great because Aaron's going to teach everybody something really important <laughs> yes <laughs>
2: Aaron, I remember when you and I marched together when you came to DC and for the women's march. And that was like the one when, when you were talking just now about, you know, that quote, if you've come to save me, you know, that's not what this is about. This is about us working together to fight against a common cause or fight for a common cause. And I remember first like internalizing that and thinking about that because the sign that you wrote was I think it was yellow peril supports black lives matter does that sound right yellow peril supports black power black power and i hadn't i hadn't thought of that before like i i had thought like i personally support the black lives matter movement or like any other singular you know racial cause but I felt like it was a really powerful, um, overarching way to think about how, like, there are these intersections of racism that we all or that most people of color experience. And it's not like comparing head to head, but it is more like being able to understand, you know, where someone might be coming from and being able to support them as they, you know, work within their own communities and try to educate outside for racial justice and and you know like Elise and Claire were saying like that was something that was really important that I learned from you just then and I always learn from you
3: likewise, likewise. like malintent you taught me that word <laughs> <laughs> there is something I'm sure you all have seen this going around about how like if um if black women are free, then we're all free because the systems of compounding oppression that influence black women's lives, um, negatively, like influence other people in different ways. So, yeah, I think if there are just, and it's not that there, um, there has been solidarity between our, um, communities and even communities. It sounds like such a weird way to, Encapsulate millions of people, but there has yeah. been such a long history of solidarity, and um, any effort to erase that solidarity or pit communities of color against each other is just like an effort to go to the status quo. Um, and when Elise, when you were talking about when I asked, like, what are other people seeing on their on their like news feed or their wh- wherever they get the news? Part of the reason I was asking that was because I was like, am I overreacting? Like, am I feeling too cautious about going outside or um, being by myself in the city? Because I was hearing um, reports of, you know, harassment and um, physical and verbal assaults against Asian folks, and but it was like, it felt like other people that I was around, didn't know that this was happening. Like not a word said about it at work, not seeing a single post about it. Well, I follow a ton of Asian people. So seeing posts about it from those folks, but just feeling like it, there was silence from everybody else. And I think that's one of the, I was, the reason I was asking you all was because I was second guessing myself and my response. And it's like, that wasn't I think that's part of it, this kind of making you second-guess yourself and your intuition when it's right, because you don't see your experiences reflected.
0: Yeah, I think I have, obviously there's been a lot of conversation around it over this last week because of the um, shooting spree that... I don't even know his name or want to know his name but that happened in Atlanta and it's frustrating that it wasn't talked about as widely before that um I'm I'm glad that people are talking about it now um and I have also heard from you know friends reaching out and seeing like how how are you doing like I stand with you and um Some of them saying, like, I didn't know, I didn't know that this was happening. And to that, you know, and of course, these are my white friends. And to that, I would say two things. One is take a step back and open your eyeballs. (laughs) What did you say?
2: I said, open
0: your eyeballs. Take a step back and open your eyeballs. (laughs) I was going to say, take a step back and. And diversify your, your media and your newsfeed and your news sources. Because if you didn't know that this was happening, I'm pretty sure that everyone you follow on Instagram is white. Like, I'm pretty sure that they weren't talking about it either. Um, because if you were following other Asian voices, you would have known that this was happening. This is not like an all of a sudden thing. It's been steadily increasing since the start of the pandemic. And the other thing that frustrates me about that is, like, what the fuck are my white influencer friends doing? Like, why aren't you talking about this? Why are like how hard is it to take a break in between your try on haul for your latest PR gifting to talk about in a couple of slides what's happening and share where you stand on this take your affiliate earnings for one day and donate it to an AAPI organization like i i just want to say that if you are and have a platform if you're an influencer and you haven't acknowledged what's going on like your your asian friends are watching and they are noting who is stepping up and talking about this and who is not
1: I think that's exactly right. I um I read a Facebook post from an acquaintance of mine in high school who is Vietnamese American and she essentially said for all of those times I laughed with you and you were laughing at me, for all of those times you made fun of me because my mom spoke with an accent my friends on Facebook and my friends in real life, I remember those times I'm not going to forget. And that just really resonated me because I was like, yeah, I remember those times too. I fucking remember. Yeah, and maybe not every single one I remember exactly what was said or who said it. The really atrocious ones, I remember who said it and what was said. But I think it's just the fact that now, like you said, looking at my stream... Or my feed i i'm noticing who's speaking up and who's not and it makes me want to be more conscious about the communities i support the where i get my news and who i'm following where i spend my dollars um and yeah I've, i i noticed the people who aren't saying anything right now and it's it mm-hmm. feels like when there is silence, it feels like it's not an issue or it's, dim- it's diminishing how I feel or the magnitude of the issue. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. I'm noticing, I notice who is talking and who is not. Same with my friends. I know who called it, who called me to check in on me. I know
0: who texted me
1: and I know who did it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you were saying like, um, sharing your friend's post about like for all those times, you know, this and this, like I remember, um, that made me think of, so earlier this week, a friend texted to check in on me and, um, see how I was doing and, you know, let me know that they stand with me. And this is someone who I've been friends with for a very long time, like since like from, you know, when I was a teenager. And in that moment, even though it was a nice gesture and she was reaching out to me, all I could think about was a racist joke that she had made at my expense 10 years ago. That was all I could think about. And it was especially, like, that particular um, incident was, like, especially painful because she had never made any like racist jokes before like with me at the butt of the joke or or anyone else but she had been starting to date this guy who was like kind of an asshole and I'm sure made plenty of racist jokes and I guess she just wanted to try it on for size and see how it felt and she made a joke about how my pussy was probably slanted like my eyes oh my fucking god shut the fuck up yeah sorry mom for saying pussy on the podcast (laughs) oh god Mm -hmm. and it it especially hurt because she was my friend and i had never thought that she had thought of me as other or like someone to be the butt of a racist joke um and and she might not even remember making that joke it was literally over a decade ago but when she reached out to me saying like, I stand with Asian Americans and blah, 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 that was all I could think about. So I just want people listening to this podcast to know that like your words fucking matter and how you make people feel matters and will stick with them. And what you think might be just like a flippant, like offhand comment, like slightly racist joke, they might remember it for the rest of their goddamn lives. Like you just You just need to understand that your words matter. Can I
1: ask you guys something? Like I've seen conflicting sides of this about how friends checking in on you affects you. Like, is that something you were glad to have? Or is it something that you also felt like, great, you're checking in on me. What are you doing about it? How are you standing in solidarity with me? What does that mean to you?
0: I'm so glad that you asked this cuz I was going to ask you guys how you feel about it too. Um for me personally, the first wh- like message that I received like that, I I was kind of I don't know why, but I was just like surprised. I was like, "Oh, oh right. Like I'm I'm part of this this group like that's being targeted right now and my Asian face makes me like part of it. Like I I just for whatever reason wasn't like expecting that and I was kind of caught off guard. Um for me, I when it's just like a text that's like I'm thinking about you and I, you know, hope you're doing okay and I stand with you. It's a nice gesture, but it it doesn't mean a ton to me. Um what has been more meaningful to me is when people like you said Claire have attached some kind of action to it and let me know what action they're taking. So for example, my management team um, for what the fab, uh one of the founders messaged me on Slack and she was like, I just wanna check in. I wanna let I wanna know how you're doing, and also I wanna let you know that we are making every influencer that we work with aware and making sure that they are aware of what is happening. We're providing them with like um, some, you know, things that they can talk about and share organizations they can direct people to on their stories. Like this is what we're doing. And this is like, that's something that I appreciated hearing. Like, great, because I'm the, I think I'm one of the only influencers of color that they manage. So I'm like, great. I'm so happy to know that you're making sure that all of your white influencers that you manage and and represent are aware of what's happening so that they can talk about this. Like that is meaningful to me. Um, but a a check-in text is nice, um, but associating it with an, with an action is what matters to me. I've
1: gotten calls and DMs and text messages, and I've had friends take me out for coffee, distanced coffee, but I think what all of that has been supportive. And I think what has been the most supportive is when a girlfriend texted me and said, hey, do you know of an organization I can donate to? Or what's one of your favorite organizations? I want to do something. And so I think there's lots of ways to show up. And I had another girlfriend who said, like, I feel bad that I'm not doing more. I have money and that's what I can give. I'm not giving my f- I'm not physically showing up like to a march and I'm maybe not posting on social media or spreading the word. But I think there's multiple ways to show up. Like maybe you're just not active on social media. Totally. Uh, But I think money is an easy first step. And I think the other easy first step is just posting on social media. Like I've noticed even before this week um, where six Asian women were killed, but before I've noticed who's been posting and it's been really comforting to see the white friends and my social networks who are posting. I think there's different ways to show up, but you need to show up more than just texting that you're sending love and light.
3: Yeah. I think for me, it's, um, it's like my relationship with that person who's reaching out. (laughs) That's the factor that like, it's like some people, especially other women of color not just Asian American women, But I feel like other women of color just, like, they get it. Um, And I think it's nice when anyone shows support or checks in or sends a text. um, Unless it feels like it's just a checkbox for them to appease some guilt. Um, And I think, yeah, social media isn't everything. Like, posting a black box is, like... Okay. And then what did you do other from posting that one black box? Um, so yeah, I think it's, but it's hard now because we're in this pandemic social distancing. We don't see people as much. So social media feels maybe louder or weightier than before. Um, but yeah, I, there was something that i saw that basically said like until until um, white folks see racism as their problem to solve and not like communities of colors problems to bear we won't there won't be a lot of progress
1: that's the part that i get sorry to cut you off the part that i get really frustrated by is i feel like I live in a liberal bubble, in a liberal bubble, in a liberal bubble, and I feel like my friends and community and the Metropolitan Center in which I live all kind of feel like I do, and it's realizing that there's a lot of people who don't feel that way. I mean, the three of you know from my short foray into engaging trolls on Friday, <laughs> <laughs> that like i was so shocked that people don't think that the murder last week was related to any sort of racism also the i'm blown away by the people who have more compassion for the white killer than the six asian women who were murdered and and the two other people Yeah, I have a really small footprint on social media. I'm not super active. My profile is private. I have like 200 followers and I never engage or comment on like anyone's posts who I don't personally know. And so for me to have someone comment on a post of solidarity solidarity that I made on another Asian profile, just really horrific things or comments in support of like the white establishment or calling me a brain dead fuck that I couldn't recognize that a man was going to lose his life. Like I felt like it was my duty to stand up and take space and not be quiet for once. Um, at the end of the day, I don't think that exercise was correct. I feel like you can't trolls, and I've learned my lesson. <laughs> but I, I just felt like I had to like fight back and say something because I can't do much right now. I can post to my small network, who mostly feel the way I do, and I can donate money. But there's not a lot of ways that I feel that I can show up, and I feel like there's not a lot of ways that I can actually change half this country's mind that kung flu is racist and has led to where we are right now
3: also when elise was talking about that joke that your friend made like we haven't even touched the surface on the um kind of intersection yeah Yeah. and the intersection of racism and sexism and violence
2: but before we move on to that can i add one thing about claire's question of how do you feel about people checking in on you Mm -hmm. So this might be more of an unpopular opinion, but I'm not super stoked on it. I think it it does depend on who it is. And I've had a few close friends and, you know, like my boyfriend, obviously, like where we've talked about like in-depth, serious things that how I feel, how I'm processing, what I'm thinking, et cetera. But I've also had a couple people where like, we don't talk often, and like maybe, maybe we were friends once upon a time, and and it's it feels like a burden to me to have to like dredge up those feelings and to explain to them why, and then often, oh, more often than not, their response is just like, Oh, that sucks. Sorry. Ugh, racism Crying sucks." Face emoji. Uh, Yes. I'm just like, why did we just do this? Like, <laughs> to assuage their white guilt. Yeah. Did you just reach out to me because you saw some someone posted and said, check on your Asian friends? And you were like, oh, I know Hannah. She's Asian. I better check in on her. And that'll be the thing that I do for racism today. Like, it just you know, like if you're going to reach out to someone, do it with purpose, do it and tell them that you're with them in solidarity and that you donated, do some fucking research before you go in and like know how you feel about it too. So that if I say like, what do you think about this? It's not just, "Ugh, it sucks.
1: I love that you said that Hannah, that makes me think too about like two times I was made really angry this week. I got an email, I think on Thursday, that was like, hey, still waiting to hear from you. This wasn't work-related. It was social-related. And I I would really love you to respond to this. And I responded and was like, hey, sorry for being late. It's been quite a week. And they responded like, are you okay? What's going on? And I was like, well, I'm a lot because of the- Is this a white man? Yes. And I'm feeling a lot because of the murder of these women. And his response was- Uh, yeah, fuck, racist. But anyways, blah, blah, blah. blah. And
2: I just felt
1: like it glossed over my feelings. I was like, why would you even email me back to ask how I was feeling if you were going to dismiss it so fast? And I think the other thing that really got me angry this week, and you can edit this out because this is off topic. I got an email this Friday from someone I haven't spoken to in five years asking about an open position at my firm. Um, and they started off with, hope you're doing great in this crazy world, would love to meet with you to get your opinions about blah, 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 if I'd be a good fit, how the company is, um, what projects I would be working on. And I just thought, like, you didn't acknowledge that this might be a hard work for hard week for me and for a lot of people. And instead, you're just asking for me to do something for you. And I haven't talked to you in five fucking years like please check your privilege before you email me to see if we can have a one hour meeting for me to tell you if I think you'd be a good cultural fit for my company like it just felt exhausting
2: yeah that's insane I mean like take it one more thoughtful step one more thought further and just don't email this week like don't reach out this week you can wait until Monday like yeah you know like it's not an urgent
0: thing allow space yeah uh that reminds me of um uh, I like it hurts to like share this because i'm like embarrassed that this happened but um i remember back when i worked at google we had a team meeting one morning and for some reason our like team you know our lead um, wanted to kick off with everyone going around the room and rating how they were feeling that day on a scale of one to 10. And like, if you want to share why you feel that way, then like, fine. So everyone's going around the room and I was like, you know, an, an eight, like, you know, feeling good, but like had some traffic coming in. You know, everybody's like, oh, five, I have a big project, you know, nine feeling good. And then we got to the one black male on our team and he was like, I'm a one because the, I can't remember if it was that day or that week, but, um, it had been that shooting at the church in Charleston. And I just felt so horribly because he must've felt so like alone and just like let down that like watching his entire team, you know, everybody go around like saying like, Oh, I'm fine, I'm this and that, and while well, he was like really, really hurting. And I I think of that often and I've just like really tried to make sure that I am aware of like I I knew what was going on, but I also was, you know, leaving that at the door when I stepped into my place of work. And so we're at a work meeting and I'm thinking about work and my projects. And I just have tried to have a better understanding that like you you can't just like leave this at the door like it all bleeds in and like if you're sending a work email like be aware of what is happening in the world around you and how that email is going to be received to that person on the other end and I try to keep that in mind with like what I'm posting on social media as well like not ignoring things and it's, it's tough. But anyways, that's, that just reminded me of that, Claire.
3: I think it was around Lunar New Year when some of the violence really started to pick up. And I think a man, the 84 year old in San Francisco, like had just been killed. And I had spent the entire weekend leading up to Lunar New Year, like reading about all these terrible, um, assaults and harassment and murders of, um, Asian elders in particular, and just, yeah, I would say that in a workspace you can't check yourself at the door and that um people of color are often expected to do that. And that I had that feeling of being like, I feel like I just you know, I just had a shit weekend reading about all this stuff and like worrying about my mom and thinking about our my older relatives who their only outlet is to go out on a walk during the pandemic and that people who are in leadership positions should acknowledge that these things are happening, even if they don't have the answers, like staff um, and folks of color and organizations feeling erased or totally alone is never a good thing. So yeah, would just urge people who are in positions of leadership to acknowledge things and it, it's tricky like how how they do it is tricky like it can't be in a traumatizing way that puts people on the spot when they're going through some traumatizing event but even just a simple acknowledgement like you said Elise of like that um current events and <laughs> current bad shit that's happening that affects people
0: yeah absolutely i think like just the acknowledgement and like support each other be kind to each other be kind to yourself like give each other that I hate when people say like, give grace, but like, you know, like, (laughs) like give understanding of like your, your coworker might be a little bit slower on their usual, you know, quick turnarounds because they're like fucking traumatized this week.
1: Yeah. That reminds me while the Capitol riots were happening, people were sending messages around on my office being like, Do they expect us to work when democracy's falling? And this whole week I've been thinking, do they expect me to work when I'm worried my mom's going to get hit in the head with a rock and a sock every day? Like it's, and then, yeah, that brings on a whole nother layer of thank you for sharing your story, Elise, because that just reminds me of how we need to give room for other people too, and how I how I think we've all failed to show up for the Black community and how we, we all just need to do better going forward.
2: Erin, one other thing I totally agree with you about, like leadership needs to show up of institutions, companies, whatever, to like set the tone and, and you know, make it clear that they don't support racism and that they support justice and, you know, they're there listening, acknowledging. But I also feel like at a certain point, like especially over the past year, it's like okay, that's that's really great that you see that this is happening, but also what are you going to do? Like, I think that it's important for leadership to understand that there's a real element of accountability that matters. Otherwise, your words end up just ringing hollow. Um, and I won't say where I work, but the place that I work at recently just sent out this email to all of the employees saying that there's this new HR policy called COVID hours, which basically, or like pandemic hours, that basically is sort of a like catch all for if you need time to just like process and recover. And it's not tied to racism, but it, you know, I mean, it it sort of is. And, you know, I think it's just a good example of following up and practicing what you preach and like, you know, whether that means company donations or, you know, creating communities totally. to pe- for employees to come together and, and like support each other. Um, I think it's good to just take it one step further, too.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about the fetish. This word is so hard for me to say. The fetishization of Asian women. So, the shooter in Atlanta said he had a sexual addiction that led him to attack. He claimed that he killed his victims to, quote, eliminate temptation. And to me, it just seems really obvious that this was a hate crime against Asians, even though the police department there, the captain there, said it's unclear if it's racially motivated. But he... He had a bad day, Elise. He was having a bad day. That was like, that was like so traumatic to hear that. Like, just after feeling so sick, yeah, seeing what was happening. And then to be, I mean, and of course, it comes out that that police captain has posted like racist, uh, you know, photos on China virus. About, yeah, China virus t shirts. And like, of course, like, because anybody that has empathy for another human being, no matter their race, isn't going to say, Uh, he had a bad day and this is what happened. Um, but the shooter, I mean, he, he picked these places. He went from one place to driving 27 miles to another place. He didn't stop at a fucking massage envy chain on the way. Like he picked these places and there's a specific reason why. And so there's this mix of racism and violence and fetish, fetishization of Asian women that's all intertwined here. And I know that we've all experienced that fetishization in some way, whether it's like lewd comments or what have you. And because of the media's portrayal of Asian women and that fetishization, for some reason, a lot of people think that it's okay or even a compliment. Um, Like you guys were all at my bachelorette party and we're like dancing and having a good time. And some guy comes up to us and says like, Oh, my friend loves Asian women. Can I introduce him to you? (laughs) And I was just like, that's not a compliment. (laughs) I forgot about that. That was so gross. (laughs) So gross. That's not a compliment. That's so gross. Like get away from us. And for some reason, some people think that it's okay to say that. Um, And so first of all, I just want to tell people that, it's not okay, it's not a fucking compliment, it's gross. And on top of just being gross and offensive, it can lead to violence. And so I want both men and women to know that. And I have another example, and this one involves women, which kind of made it even more shocking to me. But um, I, one of my first internships when I was at UCLA, I was working at this real estate agency in Beverly Hills, And, um, I was like, you know, like a marketing intern there. And on my first day I was, you know, meeting people at the office and these two young women said, oh, we should introduce her to so-and-so. He loves Asian girls. Gross. And I'm like, so oh, it's like they're offering you up on a silver mm-hmm. I felt like a piece of meat. It was so degrading. And I was like, you and we're like, we're sitting in the office. Like we're, you know, like how, like, that's how okay they thought it was for them to say something like that, that they casually said it over their desks. And I'm like, you didn't even ask me. If I'm single, you didn't even ask me if I want to meet your creepy friend with the gross Asian fetish. (laughs) Like, you just, like, oh, we should, uh, it was just so disgusting. And I just, I think that, you know, obviously a lot of it comes from the media and it's portrayal, like, since the dawn of movie making of Asian women. Um, But I, I still just, like, don't really understand why some people think that, like, it's okay or it's a compliment, Um, it's like, it's, it's beyond me. Um, but I don't know if you all have any thoughts that you want to add around that topic. I'm not a
3: historian, so I might get some of this wrong, but just to provide some historical context, the Page Act, I think of like 1875, um, was, this was around the time when a bunch of Chinese laborers were coming to work, um, in the Gold rush and on the railroads and they're all men, And the U.S. government didn't want to allow Chinese women in because they didn't want um, Chinese people to marry and start families in the U.S. and stay. Basically, they just wanted a source of labor, um, cheap labor, to come in and build the railroads and leave. So the Page Act was like, um, and I'm going to get this not totally right, but basically it put this it made it seem like Chinese women were um, more likely to be prostitutes. And it also like put the shadow of doubt over Chinese women when they tried to immigrate to the U S they had to go through like a ton of really degrading questions and immigration tests and stuff at places like angel Island in San Francisco. So like, that's, I think that's one of the sources of um, viewing Uh, Chinese and more broadly Asian women as sex objects. And I think it's also like very tied to U.S. imperialism abroad and like um, wars abroad and how women in countries that were going through wars were treated by U.S. soldiers, like in Vietnam, for example. Um, So I think it has a really long history. And I think that's also where some of the, the terrible stereotypes about Asian American men come from too that history that goes that far back about them, like, you know, scheming to try to steal um, white women and stuff. And these stereotypes of them as being uh, emasculated and all those things have such a long history.
1: Yeah. I think the, the juxtaposition of the hypersexualization of Asian women and the desexualization of Asian men is another form of just overt racism. Like we all know, like Long Duck Dong mm-hmm. and things like that. Like I had an Asian girlfriend say to me that she doesn't find Asian men attractive, and it made me so sad to hear that. Just really, really sad to hear that. Also, you don't have to put this on your podcast, but I just want to say, watching Daniel Day Kim's testimony at Congress last week,
0: yummy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Daniel Day Kim is fine and he everything he said it was like yes so well said and yeah that's i mean anytime and it's i i see like some changes happening in the portrayal of um how asians are portrayed in in movies and like anytime i see like a fine ass asian male lead i'm like oh my god yes like like um the Australian dude from Crazy Rich Asians, Chris the best friend <laughs> or like the, the lead. I mean, he's super hot too, but I'm just like, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, thank you. Like Jesus, they don't, it's it's just like, it's very slow um, and not enough, but I'm like, okay, great. At least like, at least there's a little bit of progress being made. But yeah, back to your question about,
1: like, I, I feel like, we got off. I got
2: distracted when we
1: started talking about Daniel
0: Day Kim. So. <laughs> got distracted when we started talking about fine ass Daniel Day Kim. Um, just <laughs> if you had anything that you wanted to add on the topic of the fetidite fetid I cannot say that fucking word. the fetishization <laughs> of Asian women. I think it's part of like the erasure of us as a whole,
3: whole human being.
1: Yeah, as a whole human being, we're only there to be. So- and, and like a sexual being and nothing else. And I think that erases any other complexity of us as humans. And I think there's also a ton of toxic masculinity wrapped up in that assumption, too. Totally. Like, aside on top of racism. So it's just like compounding issues of toxic masculinity and sexism and racism. So it's, I think it's a really complex issue. I remember. Um, someone said to my now husband in college, like, oh, you have an Asian girlfriend? I love Asian women. They're so subservient. And if you you guys know my (laughs) husband, you know me, and I remember my husband saying, that has not been my experience. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, just saying really broad-based stereotypes like that, there's... And there's just so much wrong with that statement. Like, I love subservient women. What? Go fuck yourself. Like,
3: I know it's awful.
2: I was going to say, I think sometimes the men who make these statements who are like, oh, I love Asian women. I think sometimes they know that's not appropriate thing to say. Sometimes they do not for sure. But I feel like I've had experiences where they've basically said it without saying I think you're hot because you're Asian, or like only like Asian girls. Like one line that I is got, it? Is it?
0: Wait, let me guess. One. Um, I love Japanese culture.
2: Yes. Oh my
0: god. <laughs> why? Why are you a white man that's telling me you love Japanese culture? Like you're right. so yes. gross.
2: Oh god, I fucking hate that shit. Like every time, like I, 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 you you I don't do even like get it
3: culture. Don't,
1: don't say it. Like even if you do, like even just. If you just appreciate Japanese culture, just don't use that as a pickup line. You can appreciate it, but don't don't say it.
2: I remember this one experience I had where um, we were in college and we were just like hanging out in a dorm room and it was sort of early college days. So we were all just like mingling, getting to know our neighbors and stuff. And some guy um, asked if I was Chinese and I said, no, I'm half Japanese. And his friend who had just told me that he loves Japanese culture looked at me and said, I knew it, and then he fucking winked at me. And I was like <laughs> I hate that shit. Y- y- you're gonna have to excuse me while I go fucking barf. Just yeah. like I it just blows my mind that, that that's like something that's seen as acceptable behavior and something that's flattering would you walk up to a white girl and say I,
0: love I was just gonna it. say I, it was, it. Like, you know. or if we were a group of white women at my bachelorette party no one would come up to us and say my friend loves white women can i introduce <laughs> you to him it's, it's the same point
1: at your bachelorette party when we were at the pool at the Aria and there was a group they were Swiss yeah. they were European I don't remember but they came up and they were like are you girls from China? <laughs> and Hannah and- Burnt <laughs>
2: You don't even deserve words from my
0: mouth, but I do have to burp right now. (laughs) I love it. you were just, like, between the guy the night before and then the guy coming up asking if we were from China. You were just like, yeah, I'm just going to burp real loudly in your face right now. (laughs)
3: Yeah, the the number of times that, like, a random man has tried to guess my ethnicity is too many to count. Like, including when I was, when I was in school, when I was in grad school, taking the bus to school, this older guy started a conversation with me at the bus stop. And then while we were on the bus, proceeded to try to guess my ethnicity and be like, are you Thai, Chinese, Vietnamese? And like, (laughs) when is that ever (sighs) an appropriate conversation for a stranger that you've never met? Never. Do you all read Reductress, the um, satirical, like the comedy site? Yeah,
2: sometimes I do. Mm-hmm.
3: There was one, there was um, a headline that they wrote, satire, of course, that said, I was so impressed that this man said Ni hao, that I married him. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I feel like, like, It's not even just, like, the fetishization of women, of Asian women, for me, seemed to, like, really come to light in an obvious way in college. But I also felt like in high school and even, like, in middle school, there were, like, parts of that, of, like, guessing your ethnicity and, like, taking a weird interest in your ethnicity that came from boys, white boys, I've never, ever had a person of color, man or woman, guess or ask my ethnicity or say, I love Japanese culture or I love Asian girls. I just have never had that experience. But what, like, I remember I was in middle school, like maybe seventh or eighth grade. And this guy who, we were like sort of friends, but like we weren't tight. He was staring at me from across the classroom, like staring at me, looking kind of confused And, like, kind of smiling at me and kind of like, uh, uh, uh. And I was like, what? And he said the word Armenian. (laughs) And I said. Bless you. And I said, what? (laughs) And from across the room, across the classroom, we were in the middle of class. He yells, are you Armenian? And I was like. I'm mortified, like I am super awkward. Like I can't believe that I am having this conversation with you across class. And I was like, No, I'm half Japanese. And he was like, Oh, I was looking at you and just like couldn't figure out what you were. And like, you know, I'm like thirteen. I'm yeah. I'm like thirteen-ish. I was just like, I I don't even know what I didn't know what to say. I didn't, but I knew I felt very uncomfortable and just like, why do you care? Like, I don't stare at you and think like, are you German or are you French or like whatever? But yeah, I feel like it just starts early. And then from there on out, it's like this continual conditioning of like having to cater to these, these like inane questions of what you are and where you come from. And like, like they have, some sense of like entitlement to know.
0: Mm-hmm. That just reminded me of um, I haven't thought about this in a very long time, but um, in elementary school, this I was like at some after school program, and this boy was like same thing, like trying to guess my ethnicity, and I really just like wanted him to leave me alone. Like I I didn't want to be called out for. My ethnicity. And so I was like kind of ignoring him. And then he just kept saying like Chinese, Japanese, Vietnamese, Thai, like guessing every Asian ethnicity. And I just kept saying like, nope, 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 like just kind of blowing him off. And there was a mom there who was picking up her son from this after school program. And she was Asian and she happened to hear. And she just kind of piped up and she was like, you're human, right? Aww. And it was like so sweet, like looking back on it. I think at the time I just kind of was like, you know, just kind of like smiled and, and shrugged, but like looking back on it now as an adult, like that was so sweet.
2: Mm-hmm. Protective. Hmm. Yeah. Moms are
0: the best. <laughs> well, I thought unless there's anything else that you guys want to touch on, I was going to kind of wrap things up with some thoughts on like, if someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, okay, so what can I do? Um, sharing some suggestions for that
3: can I say something of course I've just been thinking about how like um in this conversation I still feel like I have a lot of privilege like I've been able to work from home and um have been economically secure in the pandemic and that the model minority myth flattens the understanding of Asians in this country. And that for a lot of people, that's not the case. Like a lot of the people who, or some of the people who have been attacked in the Bay area or assaulted in the Bay area were like collecting cans for money. And there's like, and I don't remember the exact stats, but, um, if you disaggregate the data and look at poverty rates among like different kinds of Asian Americans, there's a huge range of experiences. And so I would just say that, you know, we, uh, share some common experiences and, and we're also just four people and that the experiences that are in population and Asian population in the U S at large are huge and varied and diverse. And, um, yeah, as well, a lot of
0: different experiences.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Aaron. So, if someone is listening to this podcast episode and they're wondering, what can I do? Um, I jotted down a few ideas of like simple actions that people can take. I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Um, we touched on this in the episode, but check in on your Asian friends, but not just, um, you know, a shallow text. Maybe send us your donations. Yeah, it's not just a shallow text for show, but something that is associated with or sharing, like what action you're taking, Um, anything to add to that?
3: And like not your, you know, not an Asian classmate from 10 years ago that you haven't talked to since. Like you don't need to text them. (laughs)
2: Donating, I think, is always a good place to start. You don't have to have the right words. You don't have to have time like and it doesn't have to be an exorbitant amount of money. But I think that, you know, it's always appreciated. It's always helpful to find an organization that supports racial justice and give to them.
0: Yeah. So organizations like Stop API Hate. um, Are there any others that are on your guys radars?
3: AAPI Women Lead is an organization in the Bay Area and um, something that I actually learned from AAPI Women Lead is that I think less than 1% of philanthropic funding goes to Asian American organizations and nonprofits, which is
1: a bummer. I think um, just some others that come to thought are um, the American Women's Forum. Asian American Advocacy Fund, um, Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund, AAPI Women Lead. I think Aaron mentioned that. Um, There's a ton. So just do your research. I would say, yeah, number one is always open your pocketbooks. Um, Two, I would say, talk about it, post it on your stories, post it on your social media feeds, talk to your family about it. And maybe if you've got that uncle or brother or dad or mom who is saying Kung Flu, maybe now is the time to
0: have that conversation with them that that's not okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think like help spread that awareness, share news from trusted sources, share this podcast conversation. When you have that conversation with your uncle, it's calling it Kung Flu and he doesn't understand why like share this conversation and by posting and sharing these conversations and, and sharing and spreading awareness, like help ensure that we don't have our white friends that come to us and say, I didn't know this was happening. Like everyone, everyone's voice. If
3: you didn't know it was happening, you're willfully not paying your attention white
2: <laughs> like, at this point. Yeah. Try as much as you can to be emotionally and mentally open-minded about feedback and if someone who's a person of color gives you some sort of feedback that is like you know this made me uncomfortable or I felt weird when I heard this like try as much as you can to take a step back and understand why that happened why you did it and then commit to not doing it instead of having a reaction of being like well, that one person that's just anecdotal. Like I've said that to other Asian people and it was fine. Like I said that I told one Asian girl that she was hot and I love Asian girls and, and she, we made out that night. So it's not racist. Like that's not true. And if someone is telling you that it's, it feels racist or they feel uncomfortable, it's real. And it matters that you don't peg that as them being oversensitive and you putting it on them. Like it should be time for you to reflect on why you said that and why it doesn't, why it isn't okay. Um, Just one
3: organization to shout out to is Densho. They're an organization based in Seattle and we haven't talked about this at all or much in this conversation, but they're focused on preserving and telling stories of Japanese American incarceration to spotlight on issues that are relevant today. So, like preserving those stories to promote equity today.
0: That's awesome. And we didn't really touch on it too much, but I was shocked how many people like when I was um, posting on my stories after we went down to Southern California to. Um, the to the Anaheim library and I was posting about um, the Japanese internment camps and and you know some of the newspaper clippings and everything that we were looking at at the library um, had a lot of people messaging me saying what is this what is this from people didn't people didn't know because our education system has failed us (laughs) Um, and and this is not true for just um for just japanese americans it, it's it's a lot of um minority groups are erased from like embarrassing parts of our history have been erased from our textbooks um but yeah a lot of people didn't know about the japanese internment camps and i was just like so shocked to to discover that how do you respond how um, do you respond to people reaching out to you and saying you know, I, I don't want to shame them because it's like, I remember in my AP world history class when we were talking about world war II. I remember my history teacher saying, um, oh yeah. And we're, we're not going to cover Japanese internment camps in this class. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, we're just going to skip that? Like, that's, what? that's like an important part. I, I, In California. Yeah. And I told my mom that and she was livid. She was furious. So like, I'm, I don't want to like shame that person that's messaging me saying like, what is this? I don't know what, what you're talking about because they very well could have just had a teacher like that, that just like glazed over it because it made them uncomfortable or whatever. Um, so I just told them like, you know, what it is that and that I had you know family members that were taken from their homes and forced to live in these you know horrible living conditions and lost their their property and um and that it was all just this like fear mongering and um you know encouraged people to read more about it but yeah um that was shocking for me yeah and I think that like I have had similar
3: conversations with people where they tell me, because I've similarly posted about um, our family's experience being incarcerated because of their ethnicity and um i've similarly had people tell me like i've learned more from your instagram stories than i did in all of my k through 12 or university schooling which is so sad it's not because my instagram stories are great it's because our education system is shit and like i think the first time i remember learning about japanese american incarceration i don't remember it being in class i remember sitting in the library in my middle school and finding a book called farewell to Manzanar and being like, what's this? And that was the book about the Manzanar incarceration camp because the older people in our family didn't really talk about it that much because I think it was too traumatic. But I think that all like, that's all tied together in this, um, Erasure of the history of Asian people and Asian Americans in this country, and people thinking, like, oh, Asians have it so good, but they don't know any of our history and it isn't taught. So, like, it's just the combination of being so deeply ahistorical and also not, you know, not finding any of those sources on their own is just such a bad <laughs> combo. Yeah.
0: Well, as we start to wrap this up, I had a couple other suggestions, for actions that people can take. And, um, one is inspired by, um, an incident that happened to you, Claire, where, um, I don't know if you want to tell the story, you want me to talk about it, but. So, yeah, I was,
1: uh, I think it's easy to think of racism as something that's happening to other people. And like Erin mentioned, um, I I have been pretty privileged that I can work from home and that I'm financially secure. So I don't always think about like myself as the victim of overt racism. And it wasn't until this year that I was walking back from the grocery store in broad daylight this past summer. And somebody yelled at me and said, hey, are you Chinese? And I looked back and usually I always say hi to everyone cuz I want to acknowledge everyone and I remember my immediate reaction was to respond like oh hey yeah but something in my something in me just said don't engage don't engage so I once I looked back to see it was a large white man yelling at me asking if I was chinese I immediately turned around and started walking And this was a fairly busy street and he started following me and another, um, runner, another white man stopped and asked if I was okay. And he could see that I was being followed and he walked with me until the man who was asking if I was Chinese left or got left behind and essentially just made sure that I was okay before he continued on his run and that I was far enough away that I could make it home to physical safety away from man who was yelling at me. So I would say be an advocate. If you're in a place where you could be an advocate and offer offer physical assistance, do so. I mean, use your privilege to protect others. And I'm so grateful for the runner who stopped and walked with me because that was definitely a jarring experience. And I don't know what would have happened if I didn't have a white male ally there with me.
0: Yeah, that is super scary and i'm really grateful that he saw that happening and and thought to do that and i think that this also is part of why i feel so strongly that like awareness is so important because if people don't know that like this is something that's happening and that they should be you know looking out for um that's a problem so help spread that awareness be aware of your surroundings um look out for others if something feels off don't ignore it so when Claire was talking about like having a bystander
3: who sees something happening, Asian Americans Advancing Justice and Hollaback host free bystander trainings. And it's supposed to help you figure out what to do if you see somebody being harassed or something
0: like that. Um we also talked about diversifying your feed, your news feed, your your actual news sources, like on Instagram follow accounts like Next Shark, Stop A API, hate, um, so that you're aware. Are there any other accounts that you guys would recommend? I, yeah, so I just started I a lot of the
1: I was following Hey Michelle Lee, who's the editor in chief, I believe, at Allure. And I was following her mostly for her insane skincare because she is goals. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, just seeing Asian voices who aren't specifically Asian advocacy profiles just amplify the plight. Um, I think just the more you can diversify your feed, and it doesn't necessarily have to be um, social justice oriented, but it should be diverse.
0: Yeah, Chriselle Lim is in, uh, I think she's half Korean, half Chinese. Um, she's an Asian influencer who's been really vocal um, about spreading awareness. Ami Song is another one.
3: Bianca Mabute Louie. Her handle is Beyonce, like Beyonce, but it's B-E-Y-O-N-K-Z. And she's... Uh, um, she's studying for her PhD in sociology but she does these zines that like break down these really complex issues into well Instagram posts um, Michelle Kim she's a um, like diversity equity and inclusion expert and posts and tweets a lot of really great stuff her handle is Michelle Kim Kim um, I think I realized that one of my big blind spots is really not understanding the Pacific Islander community. Um, so there's an activist in the bay, she's an activist and poet, and her name is Teresa, and I'm not gonna say this correctly, but her name is Teresa Um Siagatonu. And um she's a Pacific Islander advocate, so it's really I've learned a lot from following her. Awesome. Basically there's that- tons. <laughs>
0: I will, I will link to all of these. And if you guys think of more, just send them to me and I'll link to those too. Um, I will link to all of these in the show notes and for listeners, you can find them at what dot slash stop Asian hate. And I'll link to all the organizations that we talked about, all of the accounts we recommend to follow. Um, so you can really easily find and access those.
3: PBS also has a great series called PBS Asian Americans, I think. It's a five-part series and it's five hours and um, it's super educational and <laughs> helps fill the gaps that our uh, subpar schooling left. And it's and it's streaming free on PBS. Awesome, thank you.
1: I would just yeah, I would just shout out one last one, which would be "Add to Cart," which is by Suchin Park and, and Kula oh, Yes, and. I loved it before this wave of Asian American hatred was really amplified because it's just two Asian American women talking about stuff they love to buy. Mm-hmm. And I felt seen in a way that I haven't because a lot of their conversations have to do with coming from immigrant backgrounds or um Asian American backgrounds, but their episode 18 about the events of last week was really healing for me to listen to. So if you need an outlet or if you need something to listen to,
0: um,
1: I would just say add to cart episode 18.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely link to that one too. I listened to that yesterday and it was, it was really good. Well, ladies, thank you so much for spending this time with me and like chatting about all of this. Um I appreciate you all so much, not just, you know, taking this time to talk with me and be on the podcast and and being open about like, you know, painful and traumatic things to talk about. Um but also I appreciate you just in, you know, our everyday life and our our group text thread and just being able to know that you're there for support for a laugh or a cry whatever it is that I might need in that moment so thank you all so much for joining me
2: thank you Elise love you I love you guys
1: thanks Elise for giving us this platform and for amplifying Asian American
0: voices
2: yeah for asking us to come
0: of course I love I loved our our conversation I'm excited for people to listen to it Well, that was actually a very cathartic conversation for me to have. I know at the beginning of the conversation, I said that I probably wasn't going to feel very good after, you know, discussing this with my friends and family, but actually I kind of feel like a a bit of a weight had been lifted. Like I feel a bit lighter and I'm really glad that we did this and I can't thank Clare and Aaron and Hannah enough for jumping on and, you know, sharing some really vulnerable stories and um, thoughts. And, you know, Aaron has always been our social activist in the group that is really pushing us to do better and to learn more. And so I'm really glad that she was able to share a lot of her learnings and insights as well, because she's just able to share a lot of like historical context and, you know, conversations that are really helpful for, for my learning. I mean, I learned things in this episode. I hope that you did as well. And if you are Asian American as well, I hope that it was maybe a bit cathartic for you to listen to. If you are a white friend, influencer, listener, I really hope that you will share this episode or other resources and help to further and continue this conversation and and spread awareness. We talked about a lot of different actions that everyone can take. And yeah, if you've made it this far into the episode, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. I know it was a long one. I actually wasn't sure if it would end up being a short 30-minute conversation or what we would get into, but even in two hours, I feel like there were other things that we could have touched on. So if you'd like to continue the conversation, you can always DM me on Instagram. I'm at WTFab. And if you learned something from this episode, found value in it, I would again appreciate your support by subscribing through whatever platform it is that you listen through. Um, We cover a whole range of topics on this podcast. I've talked about productivity, my morning routine, skincare. I've had interviews with amazing female entrepreneurs. Um, I've talked about my entrepreneurial journey and leaving Google. And obviously today's conversation was a different one, but um, I'm really really proud of the conversation that we had and I'm excited to share it with all of you. Um, And again, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts helps support the What The Fab podcast as well. And I really appreciate it. So with that, we're going to bring this to a close. Feel free to hit me up in my DMs so I can hear your thoughts and reactions. Share this episode on your stories. Tag me. I'm at WTFab. I can't wait to hear what you think. And thank you for listening. And we will chat again next week.